When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Jota, Dundalk and Cavan. Order your new 221 Renault today from our extensive Renault range. Guaranteed delivery and low-rate APR finance. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Hope you had a lovely weekend. I really enjoyed it myself, I have to say. And we're raring to go with uh, five days of chat and more besides here in the afternoons on LMFM Radio. Welcome to the show of your listening on your radio today. Online, lmfm.ie. On the app, get, get the app, yes. Download the LMFM app. You can bring us with you wherever you go or on your smart speaker. Welcome to the show. Delighted to have you with us on this lovely Monday afternoon. Lots to come over the next couple of hours. Oh, my artist of the week, you'll love him. He's 76 years young, but he's still belting them out. He's coming to Ireland next year. And he was on the Graham Norton show at the weekend. If you were watching it, we're going to also hear why Dunshockland is the friendliest place in Ireland. It is. It has been crowned the friendliest place. But why is that? Barry Landy's here. He's an author and journalist. He's written a lovely new book about Irish footballers, men and women, who've been successful beyond these shores. I mean, Ireland, England, Scotland and Wales. It's a fascinating look at it. Barry's with me after half two today. It is bye-bye now for good from Tommy Leddy. Yes, big concert to mark his retirement coming up this week and we are having a chat with the legendary man himself. We'd like to hear from you as well today. 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text me to the show. 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. Now... We're going to tell you about a new podcast that you can access wherever you access your podcasts. It's called The Making of a Detective, and it really is fascinating. The series tells the story of five of Ireland's most notorious murder cases told through the lens of the man who once solved them. And he's with me on the show today, a native of County Mead. I'm delighted to say hello to Pat Mary. Pat, how are you? I'm fine, thank you very much for having me on the show. Not at all, you're welcome. Well, this series is a cracker, I have to say. And we're going to whet listeners' appetites uh, for it today on the show. Yeah, 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 we can do that, all right. Now, Pat, <laughs> t- let's, I'll just mention the cases, because listeners are familiar with them. The Rachel Callaly case, Adrian Donoghue, uh, Jacqueline Quinn McDonough, Niall Dorr and uh, Mary Goff. Of course, the Adrian Donoghue case, Garda Adrian Donoghue and Rachel Callaly are probably the two most high-profile there, with, with no disrespect to the others. But I want to start today with one that always sticks in my mind, when the body of a young woman, Mary Goff, was found at the bottom of our stairs in her home in Clannard Street in Balbriggan back on the 1st of March 2001. It looked like an accident, Pat, initially. Yes, it was It was sort of uh, 
The ambulance was called. Uh, the husband was in the house. He, Colin Whelan, he said uh, he made it clear that it was only himself and the, the wife in the house and that uh, he heard her falling down the stairs. He'd gone up for a shower. And he'd come out and find her, found her at the bottom of the stairs unresponsive. And uh, he called an ambulance and uh, that, you know. But when the fire service got there, who were first responders, and they just thought it a little suspicious that she was cold and... Uh, you know, she was cold to the touch and they just thought a little bit uh, strange. And also, they, she was in what they call acetone and that they, they had put, uh, you know, tried to revive her and there was no sign of life whatsoever. Usually, like if she had fallen within the last hour or that, like they would expect to have mm. some reading. But there was nothing there and they found that strange. Now, uh, what ticked it, what, what, what the guardy got involved was that... Um, uh, Colin Whelan went to the, the hospital with, with uh, you know, with his brother-in-law and uh, Mary uh, was brought in the ambulance and uh, a nurse there, uh, a nurse by the name of Catherine Galvin, I always remember her name, she was she would have made a great detective. She was in the, the, the area where the family were gathered and she had seen the body and she believed the body was very cold and she noticed swelling of the tongue and she brought that to the notice of the, the, the medical staff there. And also, when she went out to speak with Colin Whelan to sympathise with him, uh, she shook his hand and he was wearing a shirt and the first couple of buttons were open and she could see down and she could see a scrape on his chest. And she thought this was a little bit funny, you know, and she decided to ring the guards in Balbriggan, which she did. And... Uh, Superintendent uh, Tom Gallagher and Gareth Jim O'Byrne uh, went to, up to Beaumont and uh, they spoke with Colin Whelan and both families were there and it would appear on initial inquiries that the, the two of them, the two, the, the, the couple itself, Mary and Colin, were very much in love and they were only married six months and uh, there didn't seem to be any domestic um, issues with them whatsoever. Both families were there on either side of us, and they, they, they were very united and, you know, struck with grief on that. But uh, Tom Gallagher, uh, being the wise uh, detective he was at one stage before he became a superintendent, he said, look, Colin, it's best to get yourself checked out. You're probably in a little bit of shock and you don't realise it. And Colin agreed, and the doctors took him into a cubicle and they asked him to take off his shirt, and he did, and there was a huge scratch mark down his chest where you could see somebody had scraped it and then he, he didn't realise the scrapes were there and he looked down and he tried to wipe them away and he said, oh, uh, Mary was grappling out of me like it must have happened then like when she was at the bottom of the stairs but that's not the, that's not the, what you what you told to the 999 caller like he said. Mm. It, it shows you, Pat, though, doesn't it, that y- y- myself and listeners listening to this today you can notice something and really play a part that really help you guys. Absolutely. That, that lady was on the ball and uh, the superintendent was on the ball and he decided then, which was a very wise move, to to preserve the house, to preserve the scene mm. uh, for a precautionary measure Like because the families were there and they were very united and saying that God were only married six months and they went out for each other for ten years and they love each other and you know what I mean there was never an issue and yeah. this that and the other like you know so mm. we initially thought that it probably was a tragic accident like you know but there was that doubt with the scratch mark and that's why Tom Geller had the scene preserved and he asked Colin for his set of keys uh, which he gave him and uh, he says they're my keys and uh, Mary's keys that will be with her belongings and that which to wear so uh, he, he was asked back to the station and he gave a 
you make a statement just about what happened and that, and he said he would. He came back to the station voluntarily and made a statement, a witness statement, saying that he was there. He gave, uh, he actually gave an account of, of his movements for the day, and he said, yeah, I was there watching MTV, uh, sitting there watching it, and I heard bump, bump, bump down the stairs. Mary had gone up for a shower, and I heard bump, 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 and I came out and I found out the bottom of the stairs. And that was it. And, of course, the question we asked, uh, was there anybody else in the house? And he said, no, it was only myself and Mary. And he was quite adamant in that, and that's what he, he, he made in his statement, and that's what he stuck by. But uh, I remember the, the next morning, uh, my superintendent sent me up to the city morgue. He said, look, you need to have a look at this. It's probably just a, a tragic accident or that. He said, but look, we just need to follow it through. I said, fine. So I went up there, and I spoke with Mary Cassidy, and Mary Cassidy went in and uh, did, did her business and came back out to me after a couple of hours, and she said... Uh, I have good news and I have bad news. And I said, well, what's the, the good news? Well, the good news is that I'm finished and I have a conclusion. And if you were to have any other uh, uh, person doing the autopsy, you might be waiting another couple of hours. So I said, that's great. I said, and what's the bad news? And she says, Pat, you have a murder on your hands. And I got a shock because that's not what I was expecting. Mm. And I said to her, oh, I said, how sure are you? <laughs> And she says, Pat, I'm 110% sure this lady mm. was strangled, and by strangled by way of a ligature. And uh, she brought me back in, and we looked at the body, and uh, she showed me a little burn mark on the side of her neck. She said, that's part of a ligature, that burn mark. And she, thought, uh, and she had what's called pizza. It's, it's, it's where the blood vessels hemorrhage, like under your eyes and that, from the pressure on your neck. And she says, there is no doubt, 100% this lady has been strangled by women. And then by association, him saying he was the only one in the house yeah, then, yeah, well, yeah, you know, yeah. as such, it went on from there. I just want to move it on quickly because what happened was he was charged and he charged him and he was awaiting trial. And then he feigned his own death. He, he drove his yeah, car, yeah. you know, out to the seaside, whole direction, was it? And yeah. as if he had, you know, ended his own life. But he didn't, Pat. Yeah. He didn't. Did no. you Did you suspect oh, yeah. that uh, straight away that he that oh, it was yeah, a setup? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, as the investigator, and like, and having done your background on Colin Wheelan and having seen how he operated, let's say, through his work and. Uh, his home, everything was, he was uh, so much meticulous and everything was in order and everything was had to be right. And when I went up to look at the car, the car was parked near the cliff edge and it was parked in a parking spot, but it was it was parked uh, by someone who was not, let's say, out of their mind or, you know, he was parked perfectly and uh, there was a, a, what do you call it, a, a gin bottle, empty gin bottle uh, in the car and the keys of the car were on the seat, but he had left down the window a little bit so people could reach in and take the keys. So that's the way he was. He wouldn't like to see the car being damaged or anything like mm. that, you know. So and you oh, knew. There was, no, there, was no, oh, there was no absolutely no doubt in my mind whatsoever this man hasn't thrown himself over. Okay. And what, and what I did do is I checked his phone, and the last phone call he made was to the Samaritan, but it only lasted one second. So he knew that we would. Yes, 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 I understand. And then, Pat, to roll it on, he, he was gone and you had no trace of him. And yet more uh, Joe Citizen detective work in Spain. Uh, was somebody out there on holiday spotted him? Yes, yes. There was, there was actually two people. One person who, who he had gone to school with had walking. Uh, Colin got a, a... Well, what he did is when he skipped off, like, let's say he, he made his way to Spain, to New York, and he was in a place called Portos Noose, and it was a, an area, a very rich area, 
and the the uh, let's say the boats that would pull in there were all yachts and that and there were yachts were probably a million euro type of thing and part of buying a yacht you got free drink and food if you pulled in and went into this particular place now it's not a place that the likes of me or you would be going into but like uh, this guy from uh, that went to school at Colin was over there on holidays and walked in just he wanted he was down having a look at the yachts and the stuff and walked in there for a drink and he spotted Colin Wheelan behind the bar and he got a bit of a fight because he's Jesus, he's wanted in Ireland like that's that's Colin. And then he wasn't sure, and he and he left, uh, you know, thinking that is Colin Whelan. Uh, mm. But uh, Colin had spotted him, and he didn't know that at that time. But Colin packed in his job immediately and left. Now the guy he came, the guy came back the next night and got talking to one of the girls and he says, "Oh yeah, there was a guy here last night walking here. Oh yeah, that's Keen." That's Keen from Galway, he's Irish and this, that and the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he took that on board, like, you know, but uh, it wasn't 100% sure, but he was sure enough that it was Colin Whelan. Anyway, he came back to Ireland and he reported it to a superintendent he, he reckoned he could trust that would know what to do with the right mm. thing, like, you know. And he did report it uh, to us and that he was seeing this pub and this, that and the other. Now, in the meantime, and this is a strange thing uh, that people don't know, is that a couple of weeks had passed uh, and Colin had met the owner of the pub in, in the street and she was asking, how are you getting on? He said, OK. He says, was there anybody around looking for me? Because he was expecting the police to arrive in the next day, like, you know. And uh, she says, no, no, there's no one looking for you. Oh, he said. And uh, she says, your job is still there if you want. And he said, yeah, I'll go back and I'll work with you. And he came back to work. And when he came back to work, another couple uh, were out there and uh, a lady... Uh, befriended him there and he says that uh, he was Keen Sweeney from Galway and he wasn't home in a long time and he wanted to get an Irish rugby jersey and she says well sure look I'll send you over a rugby jersey give me your email address and details which he did and he signed his name on the back of uh, the business card and handed it to her and that was it she came home with all the intention of buying him a rugby jersey and sending it over and luckily you know fate you know you, you know, the the the, the, the Goff family put a, uh, an article in uh, the Evening Herald and they had a picture of Colin Whelan in it. Uh, where is this man and this, that, and the other? And she happened to get the Evening Herald and was reading it and looking through it and she spotted him. And she says, Jesus, that's Key and Sweeney. My, oh my, isn't that incredible? Look, I want to take a short, I want to take a short break, Pat. Stay there. And uh, the ultimate uh, upshot of that was through uh, the cooperation between the police in Ireland and there he was got arrested brought home tried and jailed yeah it was the first extradition warrant uh, European extradition warrant from Spain to Ireland yes so we had to make sure it was done properly and we were sort of feeling our way to a certain degree but like what we did at that time has been the the, 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 the template for further for all other uh, yes but uh, uh, and it was good to get that done, like you know. Yeah. Can I just hop on to the case of young uh, Niall Dore, 18 years of age, wrong place, wrong time, Pat, you'd have to say. A, a lovely guy. He was uh, with two of his friends, and they were in the doctor, they were attacked by seven people, uh, five males and two females. Now, uh, it, it turned out that one of the males of, of the group. Uh, picked on on Nile Dor and beat him and beat him so hard, uh, like you know, he he uh, killed him, like you know, and stamped on his head and like. But one of the things during the assault, we had a guy, one witness, look, who was he could hear the commotion. I was looking at his bedroom window, 
and he was shouting at him, leave that young fellow and get away and he seen him dragging him over the road and his t-shirt coming off and uh, he said uh, leave him alone get away from him but a uh, man continued to jump on his head and this that and the other but he eventually stopped and went off now that witness he says I wouldn't identify him again but he said he was the only one of the group that was wearing a shirt and uh, he said the rest had all t-shirts on them like how he he, he could but what we did is that there was no CCTV or anything like that but we did look at all the CCTV from the town and mm. all the pubs and all the streets and we picked up on five guys uh, who, who uh, you know, who we believed were the, the, the persons involved and the two of the guys who were along with Nildor had run off and they had made statements then that said, well, the, well, the guys were such a person and such a person and that. So we had, we had, let's say, the group of them and we knew their names but we didn't know who was the person who actually done the, the damage on poor Nildor but we could identify from the CCTV from earlier on the day and the movements of these people that one particular person uh, was wearing a shirt and none of the rest of them were wearing a shirt. So we sort of focused on that person, like, you know, mm. and uh, we found a cigarette near the scene, a full cigarette, and the DNA profile had matched this person. But, like, that wasn't good enough, uh, like, it was evidential, all right, but it had to be backed up because it's a movable ob- object. He could have yes. got it there the day before or he could have given it to someone, but his DNA was on it. But anyway, we had to bring it further than that. But what we actually did, uh, uh, I brought the, the T-shirt in question. Uh, I went up to the forensic lab and we took out the T-shirt and I told them from the, from the mid, from the, about maybe a foot down from the neck, from there right up, I needed the T-shirt to be divided up into one-inch squares. And I need every square to be DNA'd. And that's exactly what they did for me. And they were able to pick up DNA on the T-shirt of Niall Dorr that was matching that of the person, the main suspect. Douglas Ward, who was convicted. Yeah, Douglas Ward, he was convicted. But what, what happened, what the interesting thing about this was that uh, uh, I thought to myself then, right, uh, his DNA has got there, but he could say, uh, try, well, I, I, I was spitting at him or I was sweating and I... You know what I mean? And I didn't go near mm. So this was the quandary I offered to the forensic lab. Like, can you tell me it's not sweat? And they they said, uh, good man, Pat, you always come up with them, like, you know, and they, for the first time, were able to do certain tests. They could say to me and come back definitively and say, it wasn't sweat and uh, it wasn't saliva. It was skin particles. So if it was skin particles, it was put there by touch. Yes. So we could say that Douglas Ward touched that T-shirt at the time of the... Yes. Of, of, so, of, Pat, the combination... Had, yeah, just, just to back it up, that yeah. it just doesn't go with that. I had to do research into the T-shirt, and the T-shirt really established was sold in the shop in Uri. So um, uh, uh, when we had Douglas Ward in and we asked him, did you ever go shopping in Uri? And of course he said, no, I never was shopping in Uri. We ever in a particular shop? No, I was never in that shop in my life. So the likelihood of him legitimately putting his hand on that T-shirt in mm. a sense was gone. Yes. So the only time I had him, like I had him then, like your DNA is on this T-shirt, you explain it, you are there, we can put you as one of these people that was in this group and you kicked ahead of him this, that and the other. He denied it all along. He was charged with the murder and at the tri- at the, we were ready to hit off in the trial and he took a plea to manslaughter. Mm. And uh, the DPP said it would be as well, like, you know, they discussed this with me, like, you know, to, to, because one of the five that were involved that night had died in the interim and they thought that the, 
defence will try to put the blame back on someone yes, else. Yes, yes. So, uh, but look, he was, w- he was convicted, Pat, ultimately. And when you talk there about the the man viewing from the window, the T-shirt, the CCTV, yes, yes. the shirt yeah. and the combination with the DNA all coming together, all coming together, yes, together, to secure yeah. the conviction. Anyway, look, Pat, I have to leave it there today. Um, time is against me. You've done a marvellous job. And I've mentioned two of the cases that mightn't be as high profile. And we remember young Niall Dore and his family today. He was only 18 yeah, yeah, yeah. and he had just he had just got a job with the Irish Army as well. And that was yeah, yeah, never yeah, to be really sad. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, really yeah, sad. Lovely family. Lovely, lovely family. family. Lovely, lovely yeah, family. Yeah, anyway, Pat, yeah, yeah, I just have to leave cases, it. Yeah, all those cases are in my book, The Making yes. of a Detective. Just yes. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. The book, The Making of a Detective, and now the new podcast series. And it premiered last Thursday, the 11th of November, with four episodes about Rachel Callaly. And the remaining episodes will be released on a weekly basis and will be available on all popular podcast platforms. Pat, you've yeah. done real good. Thank you for oh, joining me on the show. Thanks very much. Not no, at all. Right. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Pat Murray there. Now, my next guest is a good friend of ours. On late launch, he's been with us through the years since we started the show in many guises. Well, when I mentioned the sound shop, the TLT theatre, you know who I'm talking about. But I can't believe he's hanging his hat up. Tommy Lady, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. God, it's great to have a chat with you again. We haven't seen you in a while, but I know you're out and about on that famous bicycle. I am, of course, yes. You're they won't s- let me drive anymore. <laughs> I know they won't. But the bike is great. She's battery powered, is it, Tommy? It is, yes. Yeah. All right, so it gets you and around. I do a lot of walking as well, you know. Good on you, good on you. Well, Tommy, yeah. tell us the story. I can't believe this. The man with the dicky bow in the suit at the in the hallway in welcoming guests to the TLT. You're taking a, a sauce of rest from it, are you? Well, I am. You see, I'll tell you, Jerry. at the moment, I have two sons who one runs the sound shop, that's Adam, and Patrick runs the TLT. And uh, kind of, I just thought it was time for me to let them get on with it because they're doing a far better job now than I could do. Ah, Tommy, go out of that show. They learned from the master. What are you talking about? Uh, Yeah, but you see, when COVID came in, Jerry, I had to cocoon and so it's it's a year and a half since I've been... uh, Mm. In the TLT, you know. Yes. But uh, I uh, just decided to call it a day, if you like, and, and enjoy myself. And But uh, I suppose I'd be still around, you know. <laughs> of course you will be still around. Are you joking me? But here, tell me, on a serious note, you know when you do have about a year and a half away and there's not much going on and you can, you know, relax in your evenings and enjoy things you like to do yourself, did that set you thinking too? It did. Well, during that time, Jerry, I wrote my book. I wrote my life story. Yep. <clears throat> which kept me going for... Well, for at least a year, you know, between looking up things and finding out things and going back over things. and You know, and when I did that, I was uh, I, I was very happy to have done that then, you know. Yeah. But then when I, when I look at the, the business, the TLT and the sound shop, uh, the lads are well able to to do that now. It's not as if I have to worry about it or anything like that, you know. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, Tempest Fugis, as you'll probably say, it flies along, time marches by and it waits for no man or woman, Tommy. 
That's true, yeah. I only have another about 23 years left. <laughs> of course. Anyhow, you know. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> and, and more besides, I have to say. Look, when you go back, and I've, of course, interviewed you about your life and times through the years. I've talked to you yeah. about the book too and everything else besides. And so we've covered the ground uh, so much. When you when you reflect now, you know, when it all began for you and you got into this business from the music game and you opened the first sound shop, and, you know, what you achieved there, making it the home of music in Ireland, then going on to build the most wonderful theatre as well, your lovely family, your care for your wife. You've achieved an awful lot, Tommy, in your lifetime. Well, I suppose I have, but it was just came natural to me, Jerry. you know. Mm. I did this and uh, I loved every bit of it. You know, it's a, it's an achievement, I know. But it's an achievement I loved. Yes. When Sean McAvoy and I, <clears throat> that's my business partner, started the sound shop 53 years ago, we didn't think it would grow as big that we'd be having customers coming from Liverpool and Birmingham for our guitar fairs and all that, you know. Yeah. They were all, the Irish guitar fair was the very first in Ireland. Mm. And it brought people from England and from Northern Ireland and from Scotland. And that was a big achievement for, for the sound shop, you know. Yeah. And then when we decided we would, uh, well, we had to move out of the North too because uh, nobody could park there and you couldn't unload our trailers or anything. Yes. So when we moved up here in the sound shop, uh, it's the biggest music shop in Ireland. Mm. And we still get business from England and all those other countries, you know. <laughs> yes. And yeah. then the TLT, uh, it started, we decided we'd build a TLT for the people of Drawdown District. And it worked. I know the fact of the first year, recession hit, everything hit. You know, yeah. I won't go into that. No. But it, it was hard. Oh my, was it hard, but, Tommy? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, it was. Such a test of you and your resilience and ability to keep going, which just, look, you have such longevity. But I want to say something to you. And it's a, a wee conversation, myself and Eddie Caffrey. You know a fella called Eddie Caffrey? I think you do. I know him well. Yes. Well, well myself. I knew him when he was a kid. <laughs> yes, in. yes. And that's what he wanted me. That's what I, I'm not breaking the confidence here. He was telling me when he met you first. He went in and he was only a kid. And this was Mr. Tommy Leddy. And he was looking to buy a little bit of gear and he hadn't the money, Tommy. Do you remember this? I remember it well. He wasn't the only one that I did it with, but uh, he was a, a good lad. He was renting a bit of stuff off his horse. Yeah. And then he decided he wanted to buy and he could pay us so much. And he says, I leave the stuff there with you. I said, no, look, take it and pay for it. You have so long to pay for it. And he worked hard and he paid for it in half the time, yeah. you know. Yeah, but you know what he wanted to say? He wanted me to say today that the trust that Tommy Leddy placed in so many people and did that, in other words, you gave him what he wanted to use and make his way. And as you say, you did this with many others as well. You were such a trusting man and an honourable man. And by the way, Eddie, he paid you every week and he, he paid up in full. Oh, he did. And paid up. Before his time, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. if he say he had three months to do it, he had had it paid in two months or whatever the, the time he was he was given, you know. Yeah. But you see, people are good. Mm. Everybody is not bad, you know. Mm. 
There might have been one or two that that's uh, out of thousands that that didn't uh, honor, honor the uh, yes what I gave them. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and you're going to have that. That's in life in general, Tommy. This happens, yeah, you come yeah, across yeah. from time to time. But the greater mm. part, the far greater part, the majority of people in life are honourable people, honest people, and, and yeah. they, they, you know, they, they, they pony up and pay. Anyway, I want to just mention that, that this is a, a facet of you. You gave so many people the opportunity to start. You set them on their way, which is much, much appreciated. Talk to me about, you know, you, you mentioned the guitar fair there in the sound shop. What else, you know, in your long career and life, sound shop wise or theatre wise, a couple of things that really stick with you besides the guitar fair, Tommy, that you think, oh my word, that was marvellous. A concert, a gig or, or something to do with the sound shop? Well, to do with the sound shop, you see, we had so many people, American guitarists that came in. Mm. And a lot of them keep in touch with me still, you know. Yes. And, uh, I made friends, mm. but the, the sound shop made friends, you know, mm. and and those friends still come come on to us and wish us the best. And I, I had a man on the other day from England, from Stentor. Now he is retired, and he just came on to wish me well mm. in my retirement. I didn't think he'd even know about it, you know. Yes, yes. But the, it came through the. Through the grapevine, you know. Oh, yeah, through the publicity for this big concert that we're going to mention in a moment. <laughs> what about the TLT? It must have been some day, the day it opened and your first concert there to deliver a dream of yours, as you say, for the people of Drogheda and the greater Drogheda area. Yeah, yeah. But we, we got great support from a lot of the people in Drogheda, you know, and uh, people that sponsored seats, sponsored... Uh, sponsored seats and uh, bought tickets in advance and a lot of people put a lot of invested money in it, you know. Yeah. Businesses mm. invested money in it for mm. the people of Drogheda as well, you know. Mm. It's, uh, of course, when the recession hit, that nearly put us into the ground. Mm. But between uh, my family and the sound shop itself, they kept it up. They mm built it up, you know, the, yes. made sure we, we uh, made sure the TLT kept going. Mm. And you've some, fan- all the time. yeah, and you've some fantastic acts I know on the way as well. I was looking at Jimmy Carr, oh, yeah. the famous Jimmy Carr is coming to the TLT soon and, and many right. more besides, but you, you're, you're attracting some of the biggest acts around in comedy and entertainment at this time. And while we're speaking about those, well, what about Wednesday night? Mr. Ronan Collins is your MC for this yeah, gala unfortunately, concert. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Ronan is in hospital. Oh no. And uh, I can't think of, what do you call that man uh, that does all the uh, sports, Gaelic, the GAA? Des Cahill. No? Not Des Cahill. Uh, <laughs> oh, Tommy, don't worry, you have, you have, you have an uh, enable yeah. replacement. I'm sorry oh, to yeah. hear, I'm yeah. really sorry to hear that about Ronan. And you know what, I noticed he's not been on his show, is right, you know what I mean? That's right. Uh, for, no, so poor Ronan's hospital. With his foot and he, he, we wish him well. Got on to us in time, you know. Right, okay. But you haven't, uh, we'll, we'll get to the details of that. You have an outstanding. Is Miss? Is a fella called Carter coming along? A fella called Nathan Carter, yes? Nathan Carter. <laughs> the uh, Sharon Shannon, my idol. <laughs> Lovely. She was for years. 
Matt Levy. Matt Levy. Lovely. We have uh, the fiddle player Charlie Arkins. Yes. The uh, Jordan Mayweather Choir. Yeah. And there are a couple of special surprise guests. People surprise. Tommy, don't mention. I've heard of one of them. Yeah, I know this, and I can't say it. I'm not going to say to to you. So anyway, it's the TLT Tommy's Theatre this Wednesday night. It's a farewell to the man. It's not a farewell. It's just a temporary it's goodbye. It's my last bye-bye now. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, it's not. Indeed, it's not, Tommy Letty. Are you joking? But look, we hear what you're saying. You've put in such a shift. You're part and parcel of the place. And we know you'll be back there, of course, from time to I know. time. Well, I have to. I need a rest. Yes. I need to get down off the thing. Yeah, and I know. I know, I know. It comes to us all. That's the yeah. way it is inevitably. But look at you're yeah, going to I'm win. over fifty now, Jim. Oh, sure. I know you are. <laughs> I know you are. I know, and you won't have to worry about going up there at night time again, dolled up, and everything. You can just drop in from time to time. I know all about it. Anyway, Tommy, tickets are available. Yeah. So, some tickets still available from the TLT. Uh, Contact yeah, the team. Man is Marty Morrissey. Ah, Marty. God Almighty, now we're right. Marty, gosh, you're elected. Should the the love Marty Morrissey? They'll be flocking there now that they hear his name. Anyway, tickets from the TLT for Tommy's special farewell night. Well-deserving, may I say. Many years of retirement and happiness. And will you say it, not for the last time, but just again as you leave us today. Come on, Tommy. Bye-bye now. Oh, that Niall Horn. He's a talent, isn't he? On the loose. I love it. It's terrific. It really is. He's done so well. And uh, he's continuing to rise off that sphere of greatness in the world and the uh, music business, of course. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Louise, following on from our story on Friday with the wee girl. Remember the Ronaldo shirt? Mm-hmm. She's not going to be fine. No. She's not in any bother, which is great here. But Ronaldo, oh, Louise, he was in tears himself last night. He Why? was in tears, Ronaldo. Why? Portugal were playing Serbia in our group, right? They were the top two. One team to qualify for the World Cup, the other, second, whoever, first team qualifies automatically for Qatar next December, World Cup in December. The runners up go into a playoff, a complicated playoff. Portugal just needed a draw last night in Lisbon at home packed stadium yeah no. they took the lead Serbia equalised 89 90th minute Serbia got a winner <gasps> yeah 2-1 oh Mitrovic such, I was watching that game too I was over between it and the Irish game Portugal into the playoffs Serbia to the World Cup oh he was in tears he was, because this playoff is difficult a few games for Ronaldo yeah, yeah, you know, like, uh, they, they reflect now. They came to Dublin, really, and got the point all right. But they might have been better trying to give it a bit more in Dublin and win. But there you go. Portugal to the playoff. Serbia qualified. But Ireland last night, Louise, won in Luxembourg yeah. and played really well. And I'm sure that cements a new contract for Stephen Kenny. I hope he does because, I hope it does because he's going in the right direction for sure. We're playing a better brand of football. He's brought in a lot of young players and we look forward now to the next campaign. But a great win for them. Finished on a high last and night. And the rugby lads. And the, the rugby win, of course, over the All Blacks. Mm, oh, Louise, get that. So we've bet the All Blacks 
now three times out of the last five we've met. Now, we lost to them in two key games. We lost to them in the World Cup. But what a win on Saturday. We were off the seats cheering for them on Saturday. They were and Joe Biden brilliant. even ran the... Pre- Joe the Biden even sent them a message after calling the whole nation drunks last week when he <laughs> met the Pope. <laughs> yes, did you... You know, Biden called us... A, well, I suppose in... in uh, in many people's view, those people do have a difficulty in this country. But tarring the whole nation with the one brush and calling us drunks in front of the Pope. Joe, for Jesus' sake, what are you at? Anyway, he rang the rugby crowd. He remembered. Sure, he got absolutely. I think he was making up for what he said the previous <laughs> week, to be honest with you. But the other thing I want to mention over the weekend, Louise, you know what those moments that you remember? You know I'm a Strictly Come Dancing mm. fan. I haven't talked about it a lot this year, but I'm following the series closely. I love Strictly on the BBC. It's a wonderful, wonderful production. And Anyway, it's uh, getting to the business end now. And on Saturday evening, my favourite, and she's been from the start, Rose Ailing Ellis. She's deaf, Louise. Completely. Completely. Right. Now you put yourself mm. in a world of no sound mm-hmm. and dancing. Think about it. Well, she brought it home to everybody on Saturday night. It was a moment I'll never forget because she's dancing with Giovanni Pernice. He's brilliant, Giovanni. And what did they do in the middle of the dance routine? They knocked the music off completely. And just carried on. Silence. We all heard silence mm. watching the whole studio everywhere. And it brought it home to us. That people who have hearing, mm. the world, she and all others who have no hearing live in. And I thought it was one of those moments that you'll remember for a long time. And she touched so many and it did this, oh, the reaction to it, I ain't surprised. I just hope she wins it, Louise, yeah. because she's take away from forget about her disability or her ability. Let's call, call it her ability. Look at her ability. She is outstanding. The timing, the everything in a world of silence. Unbelievable. I remember I, I know a guy uh, and he used to go to discos in Navin and he was deaf. And he's, mm. you know, you'd be kind of going, what? Why are you here? Like he goes, he felt the rhythm yes. through his feet from she, the ground yes. reverberating. She feels the vibration. Mm. She said that. That's what she relies That's how on. She, and he danced too. Yes, and connecting with Giovanni as well. You know what I mean? In their partnership, uh, the way. Oh my God! I, I, I. If I wanted anything in an entertainment sphere this year, I want Rose Ailing Ellis to win Strictly Come She's Dancing. Favorite? Well, I'd say she's right up there. And the great dancers in it, AJ, AJ Odudu is a fantastic dancer as well. She really is. Dan Walker from the BBC Sport. Big Dan, six foot what? Seven. Dancing with Nadia Bichkova. She's six foot three. <laughs> and they're still going as well. They're great. But Rose Ailing Ellis. What a story on Saturday night. It was simply unbelievable. You do know that in soccer terms here in Ireland, we have a small league in European terms. We are way down the pecking order, that's for sure, with our League of Ireland. Internationally, we've boxed above our weight on uh, a number of occasions, you know, since Jack Charlton came in especially, and we've qualified for European Championships and World Cups. But most of our players, you will know, when they move beyond the League of Ireland or domestic football as we call it they generally head for England if they get to the Premier League wonderful lower leagues wherever to Scotland uh, as well players play there and it's the UK we could say is the real port of call for Irish players men and women alike but what about those who've gone further afield it's something that's not really talked about but let me tell you there's a wonderful new book out called Emerald Exiles and it does just that it talks about and tells the stories of men and women who've gone further than what we would call 
Ireland and the British Isles to ply their trade. And the man who's written it is a fine local author and journalist, Barry Landy. Hello again. Afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks very much for joining me on the show. I'm curious, first off, what put this afoot? Well, it's something I've always been interested in, Jerry. really. Um, probably going back around a decade now at this point. Um, just the notion of, of Irish players playing around the world and playing in leagues that people either might not watch on a regular basis or might not be familiar with. Like, as you said there in your intro, we're all familiar with the players who go and play um, in England for the big teams or maybe for Celtic in Scotland or even the players that stay here in the League of Ireland. But there's lots and lots of players dotted all around the world, both now and throughout history, that have gone and and played for various different uh, teams and have achieved different things and and that maybe just aren't spoken about uh, too often. So it's just something I've always had an interest in, really, and I I like to keep track of all the different players and and, um, their different stories. You've certainly opened a vista on so many names and personalities for me, I have to say, Barry. Early on in the book, you talk about a fellow called John Jack Kerwin, who in the late 1800s signed for Everton, played for Spurs, was very successful there, winning the cup at that cup final where there was 110,000 people, believe it or not, health and safety, how are you? But the the real story of this fella is he then went to Holland and was there in the formative years of a little club, not so little now, called Ajax. Yeah, his story is really remarkable, actually. And and even before he went to England as a player in the late 1800s, he actually won an All-Ireland football championship with with Dublin um, as a young man as well. So um, he's got a lot of sporting pedigree, uh, Jack Kerwin. But yes, as you say, he went to to the Netherlands in 1910 and he became the first manager of Ajax. Around that time, Jerry, you know, football had essentially been born in in the UK Mm. and in England and Scotland. That's where it had had formed um, and and became the sport that we kind of know today or the basis of the sport anyway. Um, So, you know, in the early 1900s, um, clubs and, and nations across Europe and around the world kind of looked to England for expertise and for people to, to teach them the game. And, you know, Jack Kerwin was one of those. Once he retired as a player, um, he essentially went over to the Netherlands. Uh, he had met uh, the chairman, Chris Holst, um, and ended up in the Netherlands then coaching uh, with that Ajax team, who at the time had, hadn't been in the top flight, were playing in the second division um, at that stage. And he got them promoted to the top flight for the first time in their history. And then the rest is history, really. We're, we're all familiar with, with Ajax and Johan Cruyff mm. and, and the great history they have. But yeah, as I say, you know, back then, countries and clubs in Europe were looking towards England for their expertise. And, and back then, I suppose, um, a lot of European uh, people might not have uh, noticed known the difference between an Irishman and, and, a, and a British man. Um, you know, so they yes. probably just looked at Jack Kerwin and thought, oh, well, here's this guy who's um, achieved something in the British game. Let's get him over and get him uh, to teach us, you know, the British game, football as we know it. Well, I have to say and admit I did hear of uh, Patrick O'Connell, but you really flesh out his story in this book. He he went to Spain, Santander, uh, Barcelona. He was there in fractious years when really he held that club together. But his real claim to fame is 1935 and the one and only Spanish title he won with Real Betis. Yes, um, that was actually just uh, before he joined Barcelona. Yes. It was actually that title win that kind of brought him to the attention of, of Barcelona. He had, in fact, applied for the manager's job at Barcelona before then. 
um, and they said no. And it was once he won the title with Real Betis then that Barcelona said, well, this guy is obviously someone we need to have on our team. Um, yeah, as you say, Real Betis in, in almost 100 years since have not won the title and they're quite a big uh, name in Spanish football. Um, but they have not been able to break the, the kind of monopoly at the top of, of Spanish football since then. Since then, so Patrick of uh, Patrick O'Connell, you know, has a a big place in in the hearts of of them there in um, in Sevilla and and also in Barcelona as well. I, I know even in recent years where his uh, his name has become a little bit more prominent in Irish football circles, it's also become more prominent in Spanish football circles as well. Those clubs have started to remember him. Um, there's a bust. Uh, I think in in uh, Batish and there's a a painting of him um, prominent at the new camp in Barcelona now. So they're all starting to remember his place in in their respective histories, which is good and important as well here in Ireland that that we remember um, his place in in history as well because he was a an Irish international as a player as well and had played for Manchester United before going to Spain. So um, someone who who achieved a lot actually and and you know with the passage of time I think it's very easy to forget these people especially pre-war players um there isn't that much material about them but it's important to remember sort of what they did and Patrick O'Connell's story in particular is very unique Talk about forgetting somebody. Listeners will be familiar with Louise Quinn and Stephanie Roach of more modern times who've gone abroad and plied their trade. But certainly a forgotten woman and a fascinating story is that of Anne O'Brien. Yes, Anne O'Brien is, I mean, really, if you, if you talk about the men's and women's game together, is, is one of Ireland's greatest ever exports. Um, you know, you probably say herself and Liam Brady would be the two um, greatest players. Certainly, no one's ever won as much as Anne O'Brien um, domestically or um, abroad. I mean, her time basically, she left Ireland as a teenager, Jerry, to go and play in France with the Stade de Rennes and had huge success there, won, won many leagues and cups uh, before uh, going to Italy with Lazio first. And then she played for a whole host of clubs in Italy until uh, she stopped playing in her uh, late 30s um, in the early 1990s. And yeah, Anne O'Brien's story is is really incredible, actually, considered by many who've seen her and many who played with her to be one of the best women's players of all time. Mm. Um, it's absolutely extraordinary, um, you know, when you consider that there aren't many Irish players, male or female, who could ever be put into that bracket. Um, within the world game and when you consider that she's not very well known at all widely um, it's 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 really quite sad actually that, that Anne O'Brien she died a few years ago um, at the age of 60 so she unfortunately she's not with us anymore mm. uh, she died a very young woman but you know her her standing in the Irish game is something that's come to more prominence now in the last few years I know the FBI have inducted her into the Hall of Fame uh, posthumously uh, two years ago so so that's something and I think a few more people are familiar with her story due to you know some journalists who, who picked up on it over the years but um, Anne O'Brien the thing people need to realise about her is she's probably she's no unquestionably actually Ireland's uh, best ever uh, women's player and one of the best ever players um, mm. in general but she only ever won four caps for the Republic of Ireland senior women's team four in a, in a career that spans 20 years. Why was that, Barry? Well, back then, Jerry, when you're playing in, in France and Italy in the 1970s and 1980s, um, 
that was at a time when the FEI were not putting money into the women's game. Mm. You know, not like today. Um, so the women's game was very much an afterthought. It wasn't something that the FEI were willing to spend a lot of money on. So being, ba- being the only player based outside of Ireland at that point, um, they weren't willing to pay to yeah. fly and back for games. Mm. So that was it. It's as simple as that. Isn't that uh, just such a... Uh, an indictment of the times that we're talking about. Thank God it has changed today and it is so different. But I wanted to uh, really focus on her today because what she did and what she achieved was unbelievable. And she was at the the vanguard of the uh, the turning professional of the women's game on, on the continent as well. There's a fella I knew, I have to mention him, Noel Campbell. He was at Arsenal for a while, I know who I follow. Played with St. Pat's, of course, but went out to Fortuna Cologne in Germany in the early 70s. But... He had a huge regret, hadn't he, Barry, for his time there in latter years? Yeah, Noel kind of spoke really about his, his professionalism, uh, really. Um, he would probably tell you that he didn't necessarily take the game as seriously or take his career as seriously as perhaps he could have. Um, obviously, he was playing um, in the 1970s at the time at St. Pat's um, and, and had the opportunity to go out and play professionally in Germany. Um, with Fortuna, who at the time weren't in the Bundesliga, they were in the tier below, uh, which at the time was regionalised. So, you know, he was playing in a, in a still professional league, but not what we sort of consider to be uh, a, a top level nowadays. But yeah, no, Noel spoke about his, um, ju- just, I suppose, his drinking, uh, I suppose his attitude to professionalism and to training and to games and things like that. He was a, he was a man fond of a drink, um, you know, and he actually lived in the same apartment building as the club's owner at the time. And, you know, he spoke uh, quite humorously, actually, about how they would often butt heads about <laughs> Noel's approach to um, to, to to football and to his um, his professionalism. But he, look, he still had a good time there. He actually spent eight years in Germany, which is a you know a huge chunk of your career, a short career uh, we know as in football. Um, and they did eventually get up to the Bundesliga for one season. Mm. Uh, Noel played a big, big part in that, and he stayed with them in their one season in the Bundesliga. Unfortunately, they got relegated at the end of it. But you know, you, you spoke there about Anne, Anne O'Brien being at the vanguard for for women's football. You know, Noel was really at the vanguard at the time for, for Irish men's football in that he actually became the first um, player to represent the Republic of Ireland whilst playing um, outside of the UK and Ireland. Yes. Um, when he won when he won a cap while he was on the books at Fortuna Cologne. And, and that's a huge thing. You know, even even nowadays, not too many players, you know, are actually playing outside um, the UK and Ireland and winning caps. Josh Cullen in the current squad being, being the only one at the minute. Um, and yeah, like he was at the vanguard. And actually, when you think about it, and when you take the Bundesliga specifically, only one other Irish-born player has played in the Bundesliga since. And Noel Campbell left Fortuna Cologne in 1979. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it, you know, we're talking over 40 years. There's only yeah. been one Irish-born player in the mm. Bundesliga since then. Yes, it, it really does say it all. Look, there's so much more here. Declan, Fabio, O'Brien in Malta. You talk, You mentioned Liam Brady there, Paul Keegan too. And folks, there was an Irishman managed the Turkish national team. But we're not going to tell you because you're going to have to get this book. Barry, I want to say you've done a remarkable job. I 
love the book I have to say and what a gift it would make for a sports person in your life this Christmas time it's called How the Irish Made Their Mark in World Football Emerald Exiles by Barry Landy it's in the green white and gold of Ireland on the cover as well and it's available all over the place in bookshops online as well Barry Yes, online as well, Jerry, in your in wherever you can get books. Lovely, lovely, lovely. You've done a great job. Congratulations on it, Barry, and uh, I wish you well with it. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Really not at all. It. You're very welcome. Take care of yourself. That's our own Barry Landy there from the Week County with that new book called Emerald Exiles. Copy of Barry Landy's book, my copy. I'll give it to one of you. Yes, I will indeed. You love this book if you're a sports person and know who, someone who loves the sport, especially soccer. They'll adore you for giving them this book. My copy is available if you answer this question: Who did Ireland beat last night in the final World Cup qualifying match? Who did Ireland beat last night? Answers to 086 658 by WhatsApp or text for Emerald Exiles by Barry Landy. It's a terrific book, I have to say. Rose is out for a walk. She sends me pictures from times to time and it's of a lovely holly bush she's seen on our travels today and some other type of shrub today. Hope you're enjoying your walk, Rose. Which, Louise, brings me on to the point of the colour burst everywhere at the moment. Have you noticed? They're lovely, the aren't they? Oh, my word. Mm. It's a sensational year. And you do know why that is? No. You should know, being the producer of Late Lunch and listening to me and my guests every day. Yes, when you get a real dry summer. Do you not remember this? I've been told this. The, the drier the summer, the better burst of colour in the trees in oh, the autumn. The crispier so there are. the leaves. Yeah, well, they're crispy, all right. But the colours, Louise, yeah. it's They're lovely going everywhere. down. I don't know, the road outside Drogheda, you know, that leads the to... The link and, road. And into Navin as well, the yeah. link roads. They're just They're fabulous. just sensational. They really are. And they do your heart good. It's the most colourful time of year, autumn time of year in Ireland. It is the loveliest season when you're looking for colour. I know spring, everything is getting going. But when the leaves... And they're just falling everywhere at the minute. And you know those people who are out sweeping up leaves? Do you ever yeah. see the people who go out sweeping up leaves? Yeah. <laughs> that is the greatest waste of time in the world. <laughs> Let me tell you, if you're out sweeping leaves outside your door or on your street, give it a miss. Mother Nature will deal with it. They'll be blown away. They'll disappear all of a sudden. Uh, because Probably you're doing it for safety, are they? Ah, but look, you slips. sweep them today and there's a billion of them back tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? It's not needed. Let nature take its course. Could be a little slip. You have to mind me, right, when you're walking along. Mm. But it is one of the greatest wastes of times to go sweeping leaves in or around your abode. Take my advice for it. Put your time to You've better use. you got a leaf blower or something, have you? Ah, oh, so you could blow them into your neighbour's <laughs> garden and then they'll blow them back into yours. <laughs> Anyways, late lunch, LMFM radio. Still to come, my artist of the week. You'll love him, I promise you. Yes, he follows Arsenal and he's a sort of a Scot as well. Who am I talking about my artist of the week he's back in the news and we're going to hear why Dunshockland is the friendliest place in Ireland to live it is Dunshockland in County Mead but why you'll find out here if you stay with us on late lunch ah oh, you're bringing me back now Louise you're bringing me back to August 1982 and you know why I remember this song you know why I really remember this song my Miriam taught keep fit classes no way. for a while and this song <laughs> was one of the ones that the girls were stretching their limbs to. Yes, it's Casey and the Sunshine Band.
Now I'm going to send a copy of Barry Landy's brilliant book Emerald Exiles to Kieran Breslin this afternoon. Well done, Kieran. Yes, Ireland beat Luxembourg was the answer I was looking for last evening. And thank you to everybody who WhatsApped or text in. You love that book, Kieran. I promise you. Or if it's for somebody else, they'll enjoy it too. Now my artist of the week this week is none other than. Roderick David Stewart. Yes, he was born on January 10th, 1945, the youngest of five children. He has two brothers and two sisters. And he is, Rod is the only Stuart child to be born outside of Scotland. He was born in London. And remember, 45, he's a war baby. And he was eight years younger than the other four. So... He was spoiled. He was really spoiled, Rod Stewart. There's no doubt about that as a little fella growing up. His dad was a builder who quit the trade and bought a newsagent shop on the Archway Road in Highgate in North London and the family lived overhead the business. Rod didn't exactly excel at school, but there was two aspects to his life that actually stood out. He was a very good footballer. Yes, he wanted to be a professional footballer and he had trials with Brentford. Yes, Premier League Brentford today. He went for trials with them and he was a big follower of his local club, the Arsenal, just like myself. He also loved music and he was really influenced by Al Jolson. He loved Jolson's songs. He sang them but also by the likes of Little Richard, Bill Haley and the Comets and Eddie Cochran at the time. And this led the young Rod to join a skiffle group called Cool Cats when he was 15 in 1960. But look, at that was a sideline for him. He had to put a few bob in his pocket as well. And he worked many jobs. He knows what life is about, our Rod. He was a newspaper delivery boy, probably tied in with the shop his dad owned. He was a a labourer at Highgate Cemetery. He was uh, a fence erector, a sign writer at Finchley Funeral Parlour. So he worked the gambit of jobs for sure. In terms of his life growing up, he became a beatnik for a time and he he busked all over Europe. He was a busker with a friend of his. He was actually kicked out of Spain one time, uh, whatever happened there. Uh, But then he adopted his trademark mod lifestyle and the look that goes with it. He joined a group called The Dimensions, uh, an R&B group in 63, quit them and threw his lot in with the famous Long John Baldry in 1964. But then he struck out alone again before joining Steam Packet in 1965. The Jeff Beck Group was his next port of call, where he really blossomed, Rod, as a songwriter and a vocalist in the late 60s. And that ultimately led him on to becoming a member of the Faces and on to, of course, a glittering solo career, which I'll tell you more about on the show tomorrow afternoon. But for today, let's kick off a week of Rod Stewart with this one from 1971, which I'll dedicate to our Louise. Yes, Mr. Rod Stewart, my artist of the week this week. And you wear it well on late lunch this afternoon. Dedicated to my sidekick, Miss Louise Walsh. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> There's a compliment in there somewhere, I'm no, sure. No, there, there is. A, <laughs> excuse me. There is a real compliment in there because 
You, I have to hand it to you. I wear 30 year old clothes well. Thanks. You're fantastic. (laughs) You do. I I say this sincerely. You do. You are really, really top class at that. You know what I mean? You've told us in the past, haven't you? You, I have, yeah. You make no no bones about it. You recycle it and you have... Is that the... Do you have something going back that long? Yes. Yeah, actually, these jeans now, I think there's kind of a few holes appearing in them now. They must be about 15 years old. But she wears it well, folks. She does wear it well. And that's why I dedicated to you today from uh, my artist of the week. Did you see him? You didn't see him on the Graham Norton, did you? On uh, Saturday night, no? No, Friday night, but I'm Friday reading night, all about him moving over here. Oh, my. Yeah, he's bought a place in yeah, Dublin. Bold, he bold has bridge, indeed, yes. He's bought a lovely place there. But, you know, he's 76, Rod. You know what I mean? He's getting on a bit now. He's concerts in Ireland next year as well. And his, but you should watch the Graham Norton if you didn't see it back. Of course, he's surrounded by blonde, leggy women again. In his backing singers and his band. What has that man got? He has something magical for sure. Anyway, more about Rod Stewart on the show tomorrow afternoon. But we all want a bit of this, don't we, Louise? We all want a bit of Dunchoklin today. Oh, we yes, do. definitely. The friendliest place in Ireland. Full of smiles. Chocolate. We're going to find out more next. Stay with us on Late Lunch. It's official. The friendliest place in Ireland is in the North East. Congratulations to Dunshockland, who were crowned Ireland's friendliest place last night at the Retail Excellence Awards. And we're joined by a man who runs a business in the heart of Dunshockland to find out why. What is the secret to it, Kieran McBride? How are you doing, Jerry? Good afternoon to you. I think it's in the water, Jerry, in Dunchoklin here. It's uh, something that everybody in the town, uh, since we arrived here, have been more than friendly to us. And uh, I think that's extended out to the customers that are coming into the stores and the restaurants and bars around the town. How long are you in town? We uh, moved here uh, nine years ago, Jerry. Um, Originally, we were based up in, in Ongar near Blanchestown, and we moved out uh, and bought, bought here uh, in Dunchockton, which we're delighted to have done. So yourself and your wife, I take from the accent you're from a little further north. Karen is from County Meath. Karen is from Atboy originally, yes, and uh, she had family here in Dunchockton, and that uh, prompted uh, our move here, so... Uh, she has a pub, uh, an uncle who has a pub here, Peter's pub in, in the town, and also her grandparents at the time lived in the in the village. So big connections there for sure. And your business, you sell gifts and wine. What's your business called? You're now in the heart of the village itself because you you were outside, were you in a business park? Yeah, we used to be in the business park. Our company's called the Parcel Concierge, and uh, we're behind Jenny's Boutique here in, in on the main street now. And we sell hampers and gifts and uh, fine wines. And uh, what's unique about our store is that all the gifts and hampers, apart from the wine, uh, they're all Irish. And uh, we run under the Guaranteed Irish uh, brand, Mm. which is great. And we support uh, a lot of county mead companies. We have a lot of product from uh, around the county uh, on display in the shop. So it's in the water, you say. It's in the DNA. It's in, am I guaranteed if I go to Dunchockland this evening and I drop in somewhere to purchase something or do a little business, will I get a really welcome uh, from the the owners, the proprietors, the people working there, a smile? Will they chat to me? Is that guaranteed? I would almost certainly think so, yeah. It's a, it's a great spot. Um, people are really genuinely friendly. And you go around different places uh, in the country, and uh, we're well used to it because we, we run a, a chauffeur and tour business also. And uh, we know when it's a unique and uh, genuine friendliness, and that's what you get in this town. 
from the staff and to the owners of of the properties. Uh, people are delighted to see you. It's, it's we call it a town. It's actually Dunchaklin's still a village that's grown. I know there's over six thousand people now, but there's a, a huge hinterland around it, and uh, we have over two hundred and fifty thousand people within thirty minutes of Dunchaklin. Mm. But it, the town itself is, we would still consider it as a, a village. Mm, and you're right, it has remained compact within that retail area. I'm very familiar with it for sure. And long may that hold for you. Do you have to, you know, emphasise this? And, and, and does this title now put a little more pressure on everybody? You know, when new people join businesses, new businesses open or whatever, that, you know, this has to be part of the, the mantra that we are regarded as the friendliest and fun funnest place in the country. We've got to live up to this now. Well, that's for sure, yeah. And, and hopefully that people uh, do do that. And I think it's something that uh, will come natural to most people in the town. To have a bit of fun and have a, a genuine welcome from people once they come in the door, and that's uh, something which we pride ourselves on in the parcel concierge, or certainly, and I do know all the other premises around town uh, that they do pride themselves on their their fine welcome. Well, I have to say it makes such a difference. And Louise and I have been talking about this. If you go in somewhere and somebody's just not connecting with you and just go through the motions, you, you do feel it. You know, and, and I say it myself. I happened to be in uh, Dunboyne yesterday, our rivals over there in Avoca. And I have to say the lady who served us just made our day. Her friendliness, it was lovely. I think that it's uh, absolutely essential in any uh, outlet that you or store bar, restaurant, doesn't matter what it is, the people have to connect with the people coming in the door. And I think that's uh, the way that you, you'll you make your sales. You may not well make the sale today, but people remember, oh, that was a really friendly shop. Oh, that was a nice atmosphere in there. Nice to go into. And that's what we pride ourselves on. It's a wonderful accolade to get. It really is. It's it's terrific to be named the friendliest in Ireland. Is there any rumour uh, that there's a deed poll to be carried out to change the name to Fun Shocklin? Well, yeah, that's looking like it's going to come up later in the year and uh, <laughs> some of the local councillors were there at the event on the night and uh, it was thrown out to them there. So it might be something we'll see in the early New Year that we might have a change of name. I look forward to that debate for sure. It'll be a bit of fun. (laughs) It will be a bit of fun. You said it. Anyway, congratulations to you and everybody involved. It's a wonderful title to to win and it's great to be... uh, awarded that accolade and to be here in the northeast, right at the heart of uh, what's happening here. Well done to you. Congratulations to everybody, Kieran, and thank you for joining me. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Kieran McBride there from Parcel Concierge in Dunjocklin. He runs that business with his wife, Karen, and we thank him for joining us today. And congratulations to everybody in Funchocklin this afternoon. You're great people. I'll be over to test it out. I will between now and Christmas, I promise you. Anyway, that's a lot on late lunch this Monday afternoon. Tomorrow, yes? Is it your favourite when you order a takeaway or call into your local you-know-where at 3-in-1? Well, we have a 3-in-1 from Navin tomorrow and it's not the China Garden we're talking about. It's Brian Byrne, Jimmy Smith and Pat Coldrick. The three boys are with us on the show for a reason. Veterinaid Kelly is here to answer your questions and Professor John Sweeney opens the show tomorrow. Is it cop-on or cop-out? following the conference recently. Well, John will tell us for sure. And more besides, my Artist of the Week and lots more happening on your late lunch. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. We'll see you for Tuesday's show at 1.30. Have a lovely evening. 
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dogging Cabin. Order your new Dacia Duster or the all-new Dacia Sandero and Stepway. Guaranteed delivery and low-rate APR finance. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.